Very few things are more deadly than an assassin. This is because an assassin is a killer hidden in plain sight. Sometimes the death is instantaneous, like a high-profile assassination. Or it can be a slow poisoning over time that deteriorates the body until it cannot fight back. Ladies and gentlemen, friends and foes, I present to you one of the deadliest adversaries you will ever face. An adversary you have been facing much longer than you can imagine. I present to you modernity. If you want to hear the anti-modern thesis, search for episode 3. But if you don't think you have the time, another tenet of modernity might I add, then feel free to carry on. You're a smart crowd. After all, you made it this far. Let's get into it. Welcome to Anti-Modern, episode two. We live in a time when danger can be avoided and averted, in most cases, at least. Death and disease are so foreign from us that a number of deaths back to back seem so strange. This should never happen. We protect ourselves from all sorts of dangers that are present. We have seat belts to protect us from car crashes. We have anesthesia for surgery. We have painkillers, things that a mere 150 years ago were pretty foreign to our species. And so now we live in our bubble-wrapped, child-proofed, sanitized world, unable to make sense of the danger around us. This is part of what modernity provides. It provides us this safety net where everything can be kept at an arm's distance. We no longer have to actually go out and visit people, we can merely text or use WhatsApp, DM, email, or any such features. And this has affected the way we view the world overall. We struggle, we cannot make sense of danger that we cannot control. I'll give you three instances in which this is revealed. The first one is when it comes to guns. Guns are viewed as this deadly instrument, this deadly tool, something that should not be allowed in civilized society. Why would anyone need a gun? This is not the Wild West. This is not a country, it's not, it's not Burundi. Sorry, my Burundian listeners. This is not a place where wars are actively being fought. This is not a place where child soldiers are doing their thing. No, why would anyone need a gun? We live in civilized society. Where would you fire it? Why do you need one? We, we have safety. And so, rather than knowing anything about them, we instead shield ourselves, isolate ourselves from the notion, the very notion of guns, and instead engage them through the TV screen. We ourselves, children, young people growing up only engage the notion of guns through a TV screen. And so, is it any wonder we deal with caricatures where bad guys fire thousands, ten thousands of rounds, failing to hit their target, merely scraping, and yet the bad guy fires eight bullets and gets rid of all the bad guys. These are the caricatures that we deal with. No safety, 
no care to train, to teach, to model what is right use of the tool. Nope, instead, we pack it away. We do not deal with it at all. The same can be said of alcohol, but that would be a story for another day. Instead, another example is dogs. Dogs, the creatures that we have at our homes, a number of us at least, man's best friend. We also do the same with them. If somebody is afraid of a dog, rather than helping them to engage their fear, addressing the issue head on, nope, we lock the dog up. Tie the dog behind the house, lock the dog in a cage. Nope, no one has to deal with this danger, this drama. There's no emphasis, no need to ever engage it, even for the dog owners. We subcontract the dirty duties, cleaning up after the dog, picking up the, 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 the feces and, and, and getting rid of it, washing, tending to the creature. Nope, all of this, most of it at least, subcontracted. Now, there are some who do take interest in their dogs, but overall, there's this idea that the danger should be averted. Even for those who would have a dog of uh, substance, a high energy dog, nope, we have to neuter the dog. Snip, 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 snip. Before you know it, the dog isn't the creature that he or she once was. The energy, the vibrancy, the Virgil, gone. Nothing there. Nothing to show the great animal that once was. We do this all the time. Rather than engaging in the danger that is present, trying to find a way to navigate, understand it, have godly dominion over it. Nope, we lock it away and we do not deal with it. An example on the other end are toxic friends. You hear this a lot for the sake of your mental health. Get rid of your toxic friends. Do not engage them. Cut them off. Sounds kind of like Matthew 7, doesn't it? And yet that is not the case. In this case, we actually go on opposite extremes. Extreme number one is we do not cut them off at all. We keep them around. Ignore the fact that I haven't defined toxic. Let's use the, 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 the general definition when your average millennial or Gen Z or Gen Xer is talking about toxicity. We look to cut off this level of toxicity completely. So we either over-engage or we under-engage. Where is the godly dominion that demands for clear lines to be drawn, cutting where you need to cut? Matthew 7 says, if your eye causes you to sin, cut it out. Does it say cut both eyes out? Does it say cut both arms off if they cause you to sin? No, it, it demands a precise level of surgery. But we cut everything off. No care no level of engagement. There is no godly engagement. We step away from things we feel to be dangerous and we do not engage them. We hide these parts and we only deal in the safe zone. We actually think the safe zone is huge. It's a zone that we don't need to step out of because there's so much space in here and yet there isn't because God made the world such that the areas of danger and the areas of safety mingle, they mix. They don't mix like oil and water. They mix like a dilutable juice that we excel with on this side of the continent. Danger and safety were meant to mix. There is a harmony in that. Strange that in a world that values diversity, 
we do not value the diversity of things that could be considered dangerous. And so, with this modern mindset, we come to the scriptures, we come to the Bible, we read the Bible, and we simply ignore, we run away from things that would be viewed as gruesome or difficult or deadly. We sanitize God. We limit him. God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. That's the God that we engage with. We deal with gentle and lowly Jesus, not whipping in the temple Jesus. Examples of things in the scriptures that we sanitize, we do not deal with at their level, is the issue of sacrifices. Sacrifices were gory and messy. I doubt you'd know that if you heard the average sermon. I doubt you'd know that if you, if you attended the average Sunday school class. They talk about sacrifices as though it's killing a chicken. Pin the wings down, slice the neck when the chicken doesn't make much noise. Bleed it out in a small hole in the ground, and that's it. You're done. Cover the hole up and move on. But sacrifices were gory, and they were messy. There was a lot of blood. At the time, the priest would be done with the sacrifices in the temple. His, his, his garments would be drenched in blood. And then you read the words of scripture, without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission for sins. The shedding of blood in that instance, what is being spoken of is not, is, 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 is not the shedding of blood of a chicken, that small amount that is just, no, no, it's, it's, it's sacrifice, it's gory. When Solomon dedicated the temple, 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep were slaughtered. On that one day, 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. Imagine the sight, the blood that was flowing. Where did all that, was, was, was that just, did it just disappear? No, no, it, it was gory, it was messy. There was, there was smell, the guts, the blood, all of that all around, but nope. Now, when we talk of the dedication of Solomon's temple, it's clean, not a single spot of blood in sight. Everybody's clean, pristine, nothing. We have sanitized what went on. It's all about the long prayer. It's not about the sacrifices that were there. We tend to shy away from all of this. And yet, understanding what sacrifice is and was is something that would provide such rich context to what the Lord Jesus Christ came and did. Why did he have to die? Why did the death have to be so cruel? Why crucifixion? Perhaps the answers to a lot of this would be found in the knowledge of what sacrifice was in the Old Testament. So much there that we ignore. God values this issue of sacrifice so much, he dedicated a number of books to the law and to sacrifice. Which brings me to the next point, which is the law. The law, which we tend to avoid. We love the God of the New Testament and the Ten Commandments. The God of the Old Testament, now. We've divided God. That's how much we've sanitized it. We've divided God. There's a God of the New Testament who's all love and, and peace, and he's all of these things that we like, like the modern female. And the God of the Old Testament, vengeance, we don't want that. 
as though there was no love, mercy, and grace shown in the Old Testament either. And so when you look at the law, we fail to make that connection. What kind of a God would come up with the Old Testament law? Laws about slaves. Don't point that out. Don't say it out loud. The death penalty for those that worship idols. Exodus 21. Never bring that up. Laws about bodily discharges, mucus, feces, semen, pus and blood. Leviticus 15. Nope. We're not going anywhere near that. Who? No, we live under grace. No need to discuss any of that. This is what we end up dealing with. What about eschatology? Oh, things to do with that. The end times. Why deal with the end times? These are matters indifferent. It, it doesn't, it, it's okay. Post-millennial, amillennial, pre-millennial, not a millennial, right? Who cares? Really? Is that what we're going to do with the word of God? Does the word of God have nothing to say about the, the end times, about eschatology? Nope. So we throw it off into a back room somewhere. We don't have to deal with it. When we read the scriptures that deal with such portions, we skip right over them and go to the God of grace. What about miracles? No, no, don't even mention those. Done and dusted, secession of the carries matter, right? Where, where they are no, the, the miraculous gifts have ceased. No engagement with the notion. None. We prefer to remain in the safe zone. Ever wonder why our prayers are so impotent? Listening to prayers, sometimes you, you get the impression people don't really want what they are praying for. God, please heal me of my disease. Ten seconds later, but even if you don't, if it isn't your will, how about you pray? How about you actually pray to the God who actually gives healing? Miraculous and otherwise. But no, because we are dealing with sanitized times, because we have to just limit everything, put God in a safe and narrow box. Not even, not the box of the scriptures, our own box. We do not want to deal with any of this. Nope. Leave it in a corner that's dark. We will get to it when we get to it. If God is good all the time, and all the time God is good, then he was good in the Old Testament in the same way that he was good in the New. Then he was good when he commanded the slaughter of the Amalekites in the same way that he was good when he raised Lazarus from the grave. And this is my point in all of this. The Bible is true, but it is hard truth. We should not shy away from it. We don't need to sanitize this. Because God reveals himself to us in all of this. By, by, by crafting God into our own image, we have softened him to the point where he's a God we cannot love, we cannot adore, and we cannot respect. A God who brings about no justice, no healing. A God who doesn't answer prayer but merely does what he wants. We have turned God into us. Rather than us being molded into his image, 
we have molded him into ours. This is the sin that we have. We run from the truth and we run far. We run hard. We get away from the God of the Bible because we cannot make sense of the fact that the God that commanded the death of the Amalekites is the same God who raised Lazarus from the grave, the same God who saved and protected David from his enemies. We cannot make sense of the fact that David, the great king, in one instance is drooling before his enemies, pretending to be insane, and in the next is standing over the head of Goliath. Timeline's a bit messed up, but you get my point. Rather than dealing with the messiness of the text, dealing with Judges, the book of Judges, as it was with all its gore, with, 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 with the mess that is there, instead, we craft God into our image. This is why we also shun the minor prophets. So difficult to understand Ezekiel. What's all this about the temple? What's going on there? Nope. Take me to John 3. While ignoring the substance of John 3. The fact that this is the one true God, the God whom we should honor, serve, and worship. My point in all of this is that God is amazing. He really is amazing. And either be you believe that or you don't. Either you believe that or you don't. And some, some of you, some of us, have to admit that we don't. And we have to repent of that. We need to go into the scriptures and search for this God who is amazing. Amazing beyond belief. Not amazing in this soft and, and, and mushy way, the same way, the, the, the amazing that you, you can use to describe a, a guy or a girl you like, your husband or your wife. No. We're talking amazing in terms of the beauty and the glory of almighty God. Crowned in splendor. The God from Isaiah chapter 6 where the angels are flying around the throne singing holy, 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 covering their feet, covering their eyes with wings and with the other two flying. This is the God of the scriptures and we should see him for who he is. Not just the God of... Not just the God of, of, of wrath and fire, but the God of love as well. He is very God of very God. And the scriptures are hard in that sense because sometimes it's hard for us to make sense of it. But the answer is in the text, friends. The answer is in the text. The answer is found as we read and engage the scriptures. Discuss it with friends and family and see that God truly is amazing. Let us stop running from this. Let us stop running from this. Read your Bible. Pray every day. Engage the word of God. Reject modernity wherever it rears its ugly head and cling to the gospel of Christ. The answer for all of this, the answer for all of this is repentance. It's going to God and saying, God, I am sorry. I'm sorry that I clung to my image of you and not your image of you. I'm sorry I was worshipping an idol. I repent of my sins and I come to you. Show me yourself in your word. Show it to me every single day. Mold me into the image of your son. Romans 12, once again, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Rather, 
be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That way you may know the will of God, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. In this episode, in part two, in our culture, politics, and society section, I was tempted to discuss the bus accident that happened late last week. Bus accident that killed nine people and injured eight. Horrific, horrific tragedy. But now is not the time to place blame at the door of anyone. And the emotions are quite raw. It's not the right time. I will encourage you though, to pray for the people who have been injured. A number of them are battling for their lives, injured, maimed, beyond belief. They need people around them. They need their friends, they need their family. Some, who knows, maybe their family are not even aware of what happened to them or where they are. And so I'd like to encourage us to pray and trust that the God of the Bible is able to bring true healing and true justice to this very bad situation. I'll see you next time on Untime Modern. Bye-bye.